What's up, F1 fans? Welcome to another edition of the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. This is episode number 128. Today, we're going to be recapping the first race of the 2022 F1 season. That is, of course, the Bahrain Grand Prix. As always, I'm your host, Chris Cato. So glad you could join us along for this race recap and what was a really solid way to kick off the 2022 season. And of course, to break it all down, happy to have another full house here on tap tonight. Tyler McDonald and Shaker Barty, the fellow backmarkers in the house. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? Doing phenomenal. What a uh, great start to the 2022 season. Got to see the new cars on track in a race setting for the first time. And I think they delivered on track very well. Yeah, f- phenomenal weekend in the end, to be honest. I was like, not expecting it to be that close for, you know, wheel-to-wheel racing that we got. And uh, I know it's going to be very track-dependent throughout the season, so we might not see it. But yeah, though, I mean, you know, for the first uh, first race of the season in Bahrain, not bad, not bad. Not at all. And it probably wasn't a 10 out of 10 in terms of uh, rating a race, but it was certainly up there. And of course, the late drama kind of, Made it a little more interesting with, of course, the safety car coming out again, which we're all going to get to in this episode. Just a couple of things off the top before we get into the Bahrain Grand Prix. Of course, a thank you to our podcast sponsor for another season, thegpbox.com, the world's largest motorsport marketplace website. They got a lot of really cool F1 fan merchandise, memorabilia, even some used car parts that you might be lucky to get some hands on. So go to the description box down below, either on YouTube or the podcast player that you're listening on, and you'll find some exclusive discount codes in the description below. Also, just a quick uh, kind of preliminary announcement for our channel. We had some great response onto our Backmarkers F1 show live stream last weekend for Bahrain qualifying. So we will be going live once more again this Saturday for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix qualifying, 1 p.m. Eastern time, local start, which is perfect for us here in Ottawa, Canada. So we decided we'll go live again, and we hope to have a lot of you along with us to join for that fun. It's really a great time to have us three, hopefully, on the stream, and then, of course, all the fans listening from around the world. So we'll get that scheduled, and you'll find it on the homepage of our channel. And important, guys, even if you are subscribed to the channel, just make sure you turn on the notifications bell that's right beside our subscribe button, and that way you will get YouTube notifications every time a new video from us drops so you never have to rely on the YouTube algorithm, or go searching for our videos. So that's it for the housekeeping notes, and we'll dive right into the recap of the Bahrain Grand Prix. And actually, I forgot to show this to you guys in our preseason preview, but I perfect timing to bring it on here today. I actually got a little bit lucky after the Christmas holidays, because if you guys remember, F1 had a couple of season giveaways at the end of December for Christmas, and I never win these things, but I submit them anyways, because hey, why not, right? In order to win the lottery, you got to play the lottery. And of course, I didn't win. And then out of nowhere, in mid-January, I get a random email saying there was a redraw and that I actually won. And I did end up winning a little Charles Leclerc mini replica helmet. So thank you very much to the folks oh. at F1 Authentics. It is very, very nice. It's actually nicer than my Seb Vettel one. But I thought today was the perfect day to bring it on and show it to the world and show it to you guys as well. Because, of course, Mr. Charles Leclerc, third career race victory an absolute dominant performance all weekend long at the Bahrain Grand Prix. Tyler, I'm going to extend it to you for this one. What did you think of Leclerc's opening race victory in Bahrain and a little bit of a statement made for 2022? Yeah, congrats to you and Charles uh, on your <laughs> victories. <laughs> uh, very cool, very cool helmet that you got there from uh, from F1 Authentic. So congrats, Chris. That's a, that's a pretty sweet prize that you got. Um 
But no, his trial was dominant from, and I'm going to say dominant because really the car was, if you compare it to the Red Bull with their reliability issues, I mean, um, the Ferrari didn't have any issues throughout the whole weekend, really, other than Charlotte Claire having a minor spin in FP2. That's been their only drama throughout the weekend. So I am going to say a dominant performance by Ferrari and Charles Leclerc. And um, it was really good to see Ferrari back to its usual self. Uh, that's where we want to see Ferrari up at the front, fighting for race wins and fighting for constructors championships. And I think that they're going to be a favorite, as I mentioned at the beginning of the season, in our season preview, I had Charles Leclerc as our driver's world champion and Ferrari as our constructors world champion. And uh, if the season were to end on race one, well, I'd be a bang on winner on that one. <laughs> but uh, no, phenomenal weekend for Charles. And um, I really thought he showed a lot of good composure, kept a very good level head because, you know, he even mentioned to his team a few times during that race, especially at the start where he mentioned, you know, yeah, my pace is looking great. But remember, I'm on new soft tires. Max is on used soft tires and to not get too excited over the cap that he was pulling on Max early on in the race, but um, Ferrari had the right to be excited because their, their pace was just, uh, you know, that much better than Red Bull throughout the entire race. Uh, almost got caught on a few pit stops. Red Bull were very uh, smart with their pit stop timing and trying to use the undercut well, but uh, well done by Charles to keep position. And I thought that battle between Max and Charles, and we'll get into that in a little bit, Chris, but just a phenomenal battle between two world-class drivers. Yeah, uh, Charles Leclerc, phenomenal race in general. He did really well. Outperformed, um, you know, I mean, I say outperformed, but he looked really good even in qualifying and everything. Um, but yeah, just, you know, we saw some of that racing in Austria a couple of years ago between Max and uh, Charles, and it was really good to see that again. And very tight wheel-to-wheel racing um, from both of them. Uh, but yeah, very. You know, I was very impressed with Ferrari all weekend, and it seemed like they really had the entire uh, team set up done as well. They were really fast on the straights, good around the corners as well. Um, and I was really surprised to hear Signs' uh, team radio at the end that he wasn't happy with his performance. <laughs> you know, you pulling out a P two at the end uh, with uh, with with uh, Red Bull dro- Red Bulls dropping out. It was very good. You know, opening weekend for Ferrari and Signs in general and. Um, yeah, I think you're starting to see a little bit of that championship mentality from science. Even like you said, Shaker, second place is a terrific result, especially for the first race of the year. But he knows that he was a little bit of a ways away from Charles Leclerc this weekend. But I do believe science is going to improve his game as the races go on. And it should get a lot closer like it was in qualifying. He had a very good qualifying session. So we'll give him the credit there. And yeah, just before we get into the on track battles that Charles Leclerc had, I was trying to figure out what was the key to Ferrari's success. I mean, I know they've had plenty of time to work on these 2022 rule sets, but I mean, what was the thing that really helped them get back to the number one position? And today I finally saw it on Twitter, the answer to that. They got visited by the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Mr. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, the inspiration why I'm wearing this jersey right now. So Ferrari, number one in the constructor standings, AC Milan, number one in Serie A, on the way to the Scudetto. Maybe Ferrari's on the way to their own championship as well, but... uh, that little uh, championship mentality, I guess, rubbing off on Ferrari in the early stages of the season. So that was kind of a cool collaboration to see. I think they're dropping the full video later on in this week. But let's get into you that. You must be in heaven, Chris. Sorry? You must be in heaven then. You got your <laughs> you got your Zlatan uh, jersey on. Uh, you should turn around and show us to the viewers that are watching on YouTube. 
wonderful yeah, jersey you have on. It's hard for me to turn around here. I am on a, oh, a bar stool, but uh, I got so true. many things in front of me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's the uh, number twenty-one jersey from his first season when he returned back uh, a couple of years ago. So yeah, hopefully they'll they'll pull through and and win the title. It'd be pretty special for him at forty years old. But anyways, that's different sport. Maybe save that for uh, another day on the podcast. So getting into really what was the phenomenal action on the track and. We got plenty of excellent championship rivalries last season, right, with Hamilton and Verstappen. But for whatever reason, and I'm get curious to get your thoughts on this later, I think that this one might end up being a little bit more better than Lewis and Max last season. But yeah, so this was the battle between Verstappen and Leclerc on lap 17. Of course, Verstappen was catching fairly, you know, at a good rate of knots. And then eventually it kind of led to a two to three lap scrap between the two. But uh, I'll let it play, Tyler, and you can kind of give me your thoughts as to what you were thinking when you were watching this <laughs> unfold. Very aggressive from the two of them, but very good driving. I thought they were going to crash, to be honest. <laughs> there, was no, there was zero chance where I didn't think these these two would make a collision, but Really, really smart driving by Leclerc. And if anyone uh, caught his post-race interview, you notice that he actually let off, and he mentioned this, that he braked earlier so that he would get the DRS going into this uh, second DRS detection zone so that he could get past Verstappen. And I thought that was a very clever driving from Charles to, on the spot, realize where the DRS detection zone was and on multiple occasions break early to let Max right on that line as he saw it uh, go by quickly, get the DRS and come back uh, the other way and, and have DRS on the second uh, straight like this and go up the inside once more and and pass Max Verstappen. A phenomenal battle between the two and really, really smart driving by Charles. I think he was a smarter driver during the whole race and it really showed during that uh, amazing battle between these two fantastic drivers. And you can see right here, he, oh, sorry, Chris. He breaks just a tad early, and that line that they crossed right there—it's also the pit, pit exit line, um, but it's uh, as well as the the DRS detection line. And he just broke that second earlier, half second earlier, quarter second earlier, whatever it was, to get his front wing behind Max, so he would get DRS into the second uh, detection zone. Yeah, I think. Uh, sorry, one one comment I want to make is if you want to keep playing is. He does really good on defending the second corner as well, so so Max doesn't get the third DRS zone. That's that that cover off is really well done. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to quickly show before the other angle. I remember watching this live. I was like, "Geez, Max really, really braked late and hard into this first corner." You can really see it here, just the amount of force entering into the corners. But like you said, Tyler, that was very smart strategy from McLaren. Yeah, my dad and I were commenting while we were watching the same thing. After the first time that he, you know, wasn't able to get the lead, we were like, why didn't he try to get it into turn four instead of sending it into turn one? You know, I, I thought that Max would be a little bit smarter after he saw what the result was, you know, during the first overtake after he got passed into turn one. So I was a little bit surprised that he didn't try a different kind of strategy there because I think turn four was actually a much better place to try the overtake. But Really, the amazing angle of this is from Charles's visor cam, which so glad that one of the Ferrari drivers, especially now being a top team, has the visor cam because now we actually get to see... That's a little bit loud. <laughs> now we actually get to see battles for leads from the view of the driver, and you can see just how much he's looking around in his mirrors for where Max is. Yeah, this is such a cool view, and we don't get to see this as a, a normal viewer 
for the most part, you know, we're, uh, we don't get to drive these cars and, and be the lucky 20 drivers in the world that 20 people in the world, they get to drive these phenomenal cars. And this is as close as most of us will ever get to being inside an F1 car. And it's phenomenal to see um, where he's looking at all times and just the kind of ideas that they're going through Leclerc's head and how quick he has to react on every single decision uh, because Max is, is attacking, uh, of course, very aggressively, especially down this train. I mean, look, one, two, three. And I think there's another check here just before the braking zone that he checks his mirrors to see where Max is. So really, really cool. And I'm glad they brought this into the broadcast. Yeah, and I just wanted to quickly make the comment. I don't know if maybe I'll go full screen here. I believe the, this little bottom bar here, the red, is his energy deployment. And you can really just see how low it is at the start of the lap. And I think Charles was actually talking about this in the media pen that, you know, he was using the battery so hard to defend for Max that he didn't have really much left. And then you can see Max, of course, coming on the right, blew by him pretty easily. But as you mentioned, Tyler, earlier, you can see just how early Leclerc breaks in comparison to Max Verstappen there going into turn one. And so, yeah, like you were saying before, very smart driving from him. And of course, this I thought was a really cool moment between the two. They've obviously had plenty of their run-ins, not just in F1, but in karting as well. But it was cool that even Max, after the disappointment of the retirement, both of them were you know, in good spirits and had uh, some pretty good banter for two guys who just had some pretty intense racing. Ce petit avantage qu'on a. Hey man. Hard luck. What's good? Yeah, it was fun. Mate, I was struggling so much with the take of charge. Yeah, charge the battery. You were coming like a. Like you, a plane. you had to, of course, defend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I couldn't use it, so you were coming back from so long. Yeah. But yeah, what happened? I don't know. Like suddenly, the engine just completely turned off. Like I was having cuts. And I had a steering problem, so uh, it was not hydraulic, but uh, it was not smooth anymore. It's like like stuck. So in the high speed corners, I could barely steer. That's why in my restart, I could not follow because my steering wheel was stuck. I couldn't turn left. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot of issues. So petit avantage qu'on a. That's the best pulse race analysis ever. Oh, that was great. That's <laughs> and I'm surprised that he did that like in the media panel with all the mics there, but. He was good into not giving Leclerc too much info, but also giving a lot of info at the same time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I don't think he actually gave away anything about what what like actually happened to the car. He's like, it's the engine, and they don't know what it is. And I wanted to comment on that because obviously Gasly had the uh, had the engine go off. So is this a Red Bull issue that we're experiencing? I know Yuki ended up finishing in P8 uh, or P9, maybe even a little bit higher, but it seemed like all, you know, three out of four Red Bulls all experienced an engine issue and with obviously Gasly having the worst of it. My lights flickered. Not really <laughs> <laughs> That's twice, guys. Two podcasts in a row, something weird. Happened. They're cutting you off. Yeah. A... Yeah, no, Yuki was P8. Uh, as you mentioned, Shaker, and um, yeah, the only Red Bull to survive, well, the only Red Bull power unit to survive the race, which is pretty insane uh, when you think of things. And like, I mean, Gasly's uh, failure was pretty remarkable. With you see all that fire as he's jumping out and having to uh, jump out of the car and not touch the car at the same time because the, the car was, of course, yellow. Um, to do what looked like an electronics failure is what I thought it was as everything just shut off really quickly. Um, so I, like for, that wouldn't mean it was the same issue with Max's and, and Sergio's car, but I don't know, something to be worried about 
in the uh, Red Bull powertrain department to have three out of the four cars that you guys or that they serve uh, I, fail. I, I do believe Perez's was the engine as well because as soon as he had the spin out, he said he said it was his engine. He couldn't get any power. So the spin out happened because he couldn't get any power and uh, any power from his engine. Rear yeah. locks up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You're right. Yeah. So what, what was the what the issue was on Gasly's side? So the two Red Bulls had exactly the same issue, but Gasly actually was an MGUK failure. So separate from the senior Red Bull team, but a concern nonetheless, because like you guys touched on, this was the first race with officially Red Bull powertrains. Of course, Honda's still pretty involved in this year's engine. They've got a lot of people from Honda still working with Red Bull this year. But regardless, it is a badged Red Bull powertrain. Now, the issue with the two Red Bulls was that basically with this new E10 fuel this year, they noticed a lot of the teams during testing that once the tank gets pretty low and the cars are on low fuel, it has a tendency to basically just shut off because there isn't enough fuel going into the tank. I'm giving kind of just a basic explanation of it. There's obviously a lot more detail that you can find from people who understand that side of the things a lot more than us, but that is essentially what happened. And very interesting though, because allegedly Red Bull didn't do too many low fuel testing in the six days of running. So they didn't encounter that issue as much as other teams have. So it doesn't seem like a major issue at the moment, but still as Verstappen said, shouldn't really be happening at this point in the season and definitely a concern, I think. And then just had another really weird one that maybe concerns me more than the engine was his steering issue, which came from a track rod damage from when they dropped the car in the pit stops off of the jacks. And that's kind of a big concern to me because with the stiffer suspensions this year, what's going to happen when we go to some of these circuits with really harsh curbing, like Imola, for example, that's coming soon, maybe a Monza later down the road with some of those bollards off track. Very interesting that it would damage the car that much just from dropping it on the jack. Yeah, I'm not sure how quickly it is to redevelop a track rod uh, to fit the car. I, I'm not an engineer. I, I don't know exactly how long that would take to redevelop and find a, a better solution to that track rod issue. Um, but you're right, uh, definitely a, a major concern, Chris. And um, you also have to remember they only get three power units for the entire season. They've used one in race one. So you've got to go 22 races on two power units with, if you don't take penalties, which of course definitely won't happen. You know, there's, they're going to have to take penalties at some point throughout the season. So, I mean, that's something to keep in consideration as well. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I don't think the penalties are as big of a concern for Red Bull this year after, you know, having a world championship winner, they obviously got more sponsorship money, but yeah, it's definitely, you know, like you said, with the first race and the first power unit out and obviously with Gasly and his MG, MG UK out as well, they're going to have to worry about that as, that as well. Um, it, it is a concern, but I, I, I believe Crofty did comment, you know, we don't know how long a lot of these cars are going to last in a brace because it obviously hasn't been tested. And I think we have some races that are almost set, you know, 71 laps, more than 70 laps. So um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they perform in that too. And um, yeah, it seems like it's only Ferrari that has it all figured out really with that, with the entire unit. So. They really do. Five of the six Ferrari-powered cars score points. Mick Schumacher was the only one who wasn't able to score points. And it's also interesting, too, that the Ferraris weren't really topping the speed traps. When you look at the breakdowns from the Bahrain Grand Prix, they weren't even the top five of the biggest speed. So it looks like Red Bull had a slight advantage on certain parts of the straights. But I do believe that the Ferrari engine is the best so far this year. And they have made the biggest leap out of any of the engine manufacturers. And I think Honda maybe 
taking a little bit of a step back. So reliability, obviously a big concern for Red Bull in a few days time once we go racing in Saudi Arabia. But just championship wise, I know this is only race one of 23. But I mean, it, that's probably one of the worst championship defenses ever, you know, to start a season with a double DNF for the team DNF for Max as well. Obviously not over, there's plenty of room to go. But I just think that in a season in which Ferrari look very strong, this is a terrible way to start the year, and they're going to need to have a lot of a lot of good performances to try and cut that 25-point gap. It is, but, I mean, Charles is going to have a DNF at some point this season, and so will Carlos. It's bound to happen, whether it's a crash or a mechanical issue. You're bound to have a DNF, unless you're Lewis Hamilton, who just apparently doesn't get <laughs> DNFs ever. But, uh, you know, for the most part, they're, one of them is going to have one this season. So there is also that for Red Bull, of course, you, you want to – you can't. You don't want those DNFs to happen at the start of the season because they're more likely to happen throughout the season as well. But um, something to to not worry about with 22 races left. Um, I think it's still obviously very early in the championship. Anything can happen. We know F1. We saw it coming down the last lap last year. So uh, who knows what will happen this year as well. Yeah, and from what it sounds like, from what uh, what Chris mentioned with the issues, it, that those issues aren't huge. You know, those are issues that they can manage very easily. Uh, if it's just a few, it's a, if it's just a fuel issue of it not going enough to the engine, like you explained in layman's terms. Uh, but uh, yeah, it does. It seems like those issues they can handle right away um, and get on top of. But yeah, it still shouldn't happen in the first race with three out of four Red Bulls. Yeah, certainly not the way they would have liked to start the season. But anyways, you know, it helped a lot of other drivers and teams with that late double DNF. But Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, and Ferrari are back. It's great to see Ferrari back at the front of Formula One. And just a side note, too, to wrap up Ferrari conversation, fantastic to hear the Italian anthem. It's been over two years since we've heard it on the podium. So awesome to see Ferrari doing well. And uh, congratulations to the Tifosi and all the loyal Ferrari supporters as uh, you guys deserve some success now after quite a while. So then moving on further down into the rest of the grid, a couple of the drivers and teams who benefited from that late double DNF was possibly the driver of the weekend or the team of the weekend, and that's Kevin Magnussen and Haas, who had an absolute dream return to Formula 1, P5 in his first race back. And quite frankly, even if the Red Bulls would have finished line of stern, his P7 still would have been as impressive because he's the, he was the best of the rest. When you look at it after the Mercedes, the Ferrari, the Red Bull, they were the best of the rest. And it really wasn't like Kevin Magnussen was coming under huge pressure behind him, had great pace all race long. And like you said, Tyler, in our live stream, you know, you said it was just a couple of things happen at the front. You never know. He could grab a podium. He was pretty close. <laughs> He was pretty close, and with the Mercedes and all their porpoising issues, I mean, I, I didn't know at this. I thought maybe he could have grabbed one if uh, Lewis or George Russell in third and fourth at the time had uh, any sort of issues with their cars as well, with uh, all the bumps and craziness that they've been going through recently. Which they look to see that they 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 may improve in races down the line. But I mean, unbelievable by K Mag. I was so happy to see. Uh, him do well i listen to the post-race radio and it's just like pure joy from k mag and haas and uh you know good designer had you know the biggest smile in the world i don't think i've seen him smile that big since k mag's last uh, crazy uh finish and where he finished fifth place so um awesome for for haas it was so good to see them i wish mick schumacher got points uh that was the only thing that was missing from this grand prix in my opinion it would have been awesome to see him get his first points in F1, 
But unfortunately, that uh, contact with Esteban Ocon damaged his rear end a little bit, and he had a tough time with pace and uh, rear stability for the rest of the race. Uh, but just, I mean, going, like I mentioned in their preseason podcast, going from a beach in Miami on vacation with your family and, you know, to an F1 grid and, and now to fifth place in uh, a bar in Grand Prix. What a phenomenal story for K-Mag. And I hope it can continue in Saudi Arabia. And of course, we've seen Saudi Arabia last year. Who knows what the heck's going to happen at that racetrack. So it's all up for K-Mag in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone can be uh, be upset or disappointed with how Ke- Kevin Magnuson's story unfolded. I'm being out for uh, being out of F1 for a year, and you know I think we every everyone was upset with him leaving and w- hoped that he would find a uh, hoped he would find a team to drive uh, in 2021. But just so happy for him to come back, and it, it, like you said, Tyler, just throughout the radio, you can hear it all on the team. They were all so happy for Kevin Magnuson, even Mick Schumacher. You know, he, you know, getting P11, not bad after uh, after how he did last year, and I think he was dealing with a little bit of a difficult car, from what I hear heard from the team radio. And as always, uh, yeah, I always forget the uh, the guy that comes on the radio. What his name oh. is? Oh, you know, Gary. Always sounds so. What, sorry, Gary. Gary, yeah. Oh, Gary always just sounds so great on the radio. <laughs> so, you know, we're going to do our homework this week and come back. You yeah. know, it's, uh, okay, it's really Mick. nice. <laughs> okay, Mick. Good race, buddy. <laughs> yeah. no, it was it is pretty cool. And, and you know, they, they were competing with, uh, with, uh, with, <clears throat> with uh, Alonzo and, you know, racing against the McLaren. So not bad, you know, from what they, where they were in the last few years. Not bad for uh, Mick Schumacher. It really wasn't a terrible race from him. Had he not had the damage from the spin caused by Ocon, maybe he would have been able to grab a, a point here or there. But Magnussen was just absolutely stellar. And, you know, besides from the driver, of course, extracting the most out of the car, I think what we really see from the first race, and I know it's kind of difficult to tell because Bahrain is a different track to the couple of the ones that we're going to next. But regardless, it is a slight indication of the running order. I think we could genuinely see... Haas and Alfa Romeo be at the front end of the midfield this season because Alfa Romeo had a fantastic race as well with Bottas and P6 really recovered from that first lap awful start that he had too much wheel spin off of the grid I think he jumped down to like P16 or 14 at one time and then his teammate as well the rookie Guan Yu Zhou had a fantastic really solid race as well I was impressed by him just to get that final point but I really think that those two teams, I mean, they're sitting third and fourth in the Constructors' Championship right now, but they could be the ones fighting it out for best of the rest in 2022. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Valtteri, uh, good for him. A really good comeback race, considering, like you mentioned, Chris, cooking the rear tires on the start of the race. We've seen that before in a different car uh, for a few seasons past. And, uh, you know, dropping back to uh, bottom quarter of the grid, and coming back for P6 was a phenomenal for him. And uh, Zhao Guan Yu, I think is what Crofty was uh, was calling, I think that's what he's going by this season, um, was, you know, really impressed me throughout this weekend. I thought he was very composed, and he was a driver who I thought was brought up properly uh, through F2. You know, he could have brought up been brought up last year, but I think another year of development F2 was good for him. Uh, and it really, you know, came in as a mature a composed driver in in this race weekend. I was very impressed with him, and uh, might be a really good pickup for Alpha Romeo. And we'll see how he does throughout the season. Of course, Yuki Tsunoda got out to a very hot start last year, and kind of 
cooled off throughout the season, and it's different with every driver. So it'd be interesting to hear how Joao Guanyu does throughout the season. Um, but awesome for Alfa Romeo, who have made me eat my words through race number one uh, this year. All of us, all three of us picked them to be 10th this yeah. year. So. <laughs> I agree. I think uh, Alfa Romeo was honestly, out of all the teams that uh, we saw this weekend, they were the, the team I was most impressed by because I was not expecting either teams to be in the top 10 positions. Um, very good from Valtteri Bottas. And, you know, you could see why he was put in that Mercedes seat for so long. And he really brought out the best of that car. Um, and very happy to see him still in the top 10 and not at all what I was expecting him to be this season. So, um, yeah, very happy for Valtteri as well. And like you guys mentioned, uh, is it Zhao or Zhou? Because they kept on saying Zhou and they switched from Zhao. So I'm not too sure. So whichever way be, you know, you can comment and let us know. Um, I, be, I, I, I believe it's, it's Joe, but it could. Yeah. I, yeah, I've heard Zhao as well too. Yeah. We we so should I, try to get pronunciation conf confirmation <laughs> from Alfa Romeo. It'd be actually really helpful just to make sure we. Yeah. I don't want to pronounce his name wrong. Yeah. No, exactly. That's why I'm saying both. You know, let us know which one. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's a rookie, so you can forgive us. Uh, you know, we're still yeah. getting. Uh, you know, accustomed to uh, to him and, and getting to know him as well. But yeah, like you mentioned, Tyler, it's customary in, in China and also in certain European countries as well, where you go last name, first name, so family name and then um, first name. So it's different than uh, than here. So we've kind of, I guess, westernized it, but we can definitely go with uh, Zhou Guan Yu uh, for, for the rest of this season, just maybe if some people were a little bit confused about that. But very good rookie debut for him. So I'm really looking forward to him. I, I, I like his attitude super emotional on the on the team radio as well was crying afterwards and stuff so he uh, seems like a really good guy and and a pretty solid driver so good pickup for Alfa Romeo I'm happy to be wrong too with my uh, preseason predictions but some of the teams hoping that our predictions are going to be right is McLaren and Aston Martin because I think all three of us tipped them to be at least in the top five this season if not top six but boy, they had an awful, awful Bahrain Grand Prix. You had McLaren pretty much running at the back of the field for the entire race. Aston Martin, they were a little bit better with Lance Stroll finishing in 12th, a little bit lucky with all the events that happened. But man, I mean, you got to hope if you're a McLaren fan that this pace isn't going to be what they see the rest of the year. Yeah, no, I, I don't know what's going on with McLaren because they had a great first testing session, looked okay in the second testing session obviously Daniel Ricciardo didn't have many laps uh, due to getting COVID um, so it was just Lando Norris um, back behind the car for that uh, and but out of nowhere it almost seemed like they just I don't know they looked like a, a rock got tied to them and they got thrown <laughs> into a lake and they just sunk I don't know what was going on with that McLaren and it's really um, disappointing to see because I had them up there as you know, one of the favorites for at least a couple of race wins this season. Um, now for Aston Martin, I think their problems are a little bit more publicly known. I think they've said that. Um, of course, the major porpoising issues with the Aston Martin, and they said that they have had to raise the ride height so high to avoid those. They're losing three quarters of a second a lap. Jeez. Which, if you if and they said like they said this. Um, and if, if that goes, if you take that into your qualifying, they're up, they're, they're a top in, in the, you know, both drivers are in the top 10. Um, so that's a major, major, 
loss of time due to the ride height, uh, trying to avoid that porpoising issue. So if they can get that figured out, I mean, Aston Martin could have a really, really quick car in the last three quarters of the season or the last half of the season, who knows? Um, but for right now, they really have to, to try and uh, hammer out what exactly is causing that major porpoising that they can't lower the ride height uh, to where they can get optimal downforce with that uh, underfloor uh, vein system that they'll be using for the uh, the underfloor uh, ground effect. Yeah, um, they just I don't know. I they were uh, Daniel Ricardo. I don't know if you guys listen to his team radio. I he just had no words to say at the end of that race, and, and I'm I'm pretty much at the same same spot. I don't really know what to say about McLaren this year. Um, you know, after the huge developments we saw with Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz the last few years and for them to be at this place where they are now, I was expecting a lot more. Um, same with Aston Martin as well. Um, but, you know, not, not a bad performance uh, from Aston Martin. I, they're kind of where I expected them to be. Yeah, they could be like maybe a couple of places higher, but not too bad overall from uh from stroll in my opinion and you know not the greatest from vettel obviously but yeah from stroll not too bad to get p12 in the end um yeah that's pretty much all i have to say about those two teams yeah it's it's going to be a couple of races too before some new developments come on the car so i think lando norris for at mclaren was saying it's going to be enough uh it's going to be a rough couple of races for them but yeah i hope that bahrain is sort of a uh, an outlier but still it doesn't look good because if you have a good car, you're going to be good everywhere. So, um, yeah, that definitely did surprise me. So we'll see what, what happens the rest of the year. Uh, so the final team that we'll, we'll touch on before we get into just our, our final thoughts on the Bahrain Grand Prix is Mercedes because really a, a big, not necessarily a shock, but I guess just in recent terms in Formula One era, a shock just to see them so far off of the race pace and just really in fifth and sixth for most of the race before, of course, the Red Bull failures, which popped Lewis Hamilton up into the podium places. But I was listening to some comments from Total Wolf post-race saying that in race pace, they're about eight-tenths of a second off of what the Ferraris are doing. And it's mainly down to the fact that they've got some porpoising issues as well, but they really have a draggy car and they're just not able to get the same performance out of it. Hamilton and, and Russell, the drivers, they're just not able to get as much confidence at the corner entry as well and at the exit of corners to really attack. And so they were really, I think, at 1.37 seconds behind the race leader Charles Leclerc. So Tyler, just some comments on Mercedes and, and you know what you think that this will mean. Will they be able to get into the title fight and, and make it a three-way battle for the championship? Well, you're looking at eight-time defending constructors champion, so I wouldn't count them out. Um, Lewis touched on this at the end of the race, and I thought uh, that it was a really good point that they're probably uh, the team that has the best teamwork and team atmosphere in the entire F1 grid. And if anyone can figure out this issue and come back from it, it is Mercedes. So um, I wouldn't chalk them out out of race wins this season. However, I don't think they're going to be title favorites or title contenders this season. I just think it might be a little bit too much for them to overcome by the time they figure out that porpoising issue and fix it in time. You know, uh, same with Aston Martin. It might be in the last three quarters of the season or in the last uh, half of the season. And that won't be enough time uh, to win the constructors title. Although, uh, you know, I think they will be winning races this season. And I think they will come back from whatever major issue uh, that they have. Uh, this is a team that invests a lot of money uh, into the team, a lot of time, a lot of effort. And there's a lot of passion behind this Mercedes team. 
And they've shown over years and years how well of a team they are and how uh, how much innovation they can put into that Mercedes car. So I wouldn't panic if you're a Mercedes fan yet, but I also wouldn't be very confident as well. I'd be cautiously optimistic into what would be coming in the future. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I, I think there is like a time frame for when they can figure it out. If they figure it out just before the ha- uh, the halfway point of the season, we get to about 11, 12 races. I think that's enough time for Mercedes to try and crawl back if they do manage to figure their car out enough. But I think if we go into the summer break, I think, uh, and they come back and figure it out, I think it'll be a little bit too late for Mercedes as well to, uh, you know, I, I think they'll I think they'll still end up getting top three. Uh, no, I'm sorry, probably third. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's a little bit difficult. They do don't look like they're in the greatest spot, but we know Lewis Hamilton and he'll bring out the best in the car and having George Russell and uh, well, George Russell having Lewis Hamilton in that, uh, in that seat is really going to help him out and develop for the rest, you know, for the rest of his life. So they're in a great position uh, at the moment uh, with their drivers and, you know, we'll see how it goes because they still managed to get third and fourth in the end. So we can't take that away from them. Um, yeah, and somehow Lewis Hamilton squeaks away another podium. Like, it's just, it's crazy that, you know, obviously they weren't expecting that, but Lewis Hamilton has another podium. He's, he's 1-0 against Max Verstappen in podiums this season, and I don't think anyone saw that coming. So it's just, you know, wild to see, you know, after all the things that are going wrong for Mercedes and for Lewis, that he somehow still comes out with a podium and a trophy. Yeah, kind of typical. Sorry, go ahead, Jager. Oh, go ahead. Right. No, I was just going to say, kind of just typical of Lewis Hamilton's career, right place at the right time, seems like for most of it. But some people were highlighting this too. And I think it is a little bit right that what we saw at the Bahrain Grand Prix was, you know, Formula One karmic justice at work once again from what happened in Abu Dhabi, right? With the safety car coming out and Max Verstappen benefiting, benefiting from a miracle and some huge luck. And then we go into this first race of the season, some terrible luck this time for Max Verstappen in Red Bull, which sees him DNF from the race. Lewis Hamilton gets on the podium. So it's a little bit of karmic justice like it was last year with Max having all the bad luck. And then he gets finally the good fortune. So it's you know funny how it works out that way. But yeah, it's nice to see a little bit of a difference in terms of the shakeup to see Mercedes struggle for once and then Ferrari a team back up in resurgence. But yeah, hopefully it will be a three-team fight for the championship this year. Uh, before we go, one team that we did want to mention, Shaker, I know you wanted to talk about them, was the boys in pink for just a few more races at least. And that's Alpine, who I honestly say did surprise me a lot, especially Esteban Ocon. Had the five-second penalty and yet still finished in seventh and ahead of his teammate. Yeah, I kind of wanted to touch on them because they're like, I think, fourth or fifth in my predictions for the end of the season. So I, I honestly, I it was that's one of my uh, dark horse predictions. But I was very uh, surprised with Esteban Ocon uh, this weekend getting that five second pen- uh, penalty in the first lap. You know, well, who knows if he didn't get that where he could have been in that race. But uh, to scrape out P8 in the end, P7, yeah, P7 in the end with uh, with. Uh, Alonso getting P9 is a great spot for them because I don't think Alonso looked very racy this weekend, but uh, just to get points in the end for both teams and uh, to kind of, you know, be there because we, I think, you know, we weren't expecting the most out of them, but to still get points in the end is great for them because, you know, that's what, four teams that managed to actually get double points finishes? They're out of the four? Yeah, you're right. Ferrari, yeah. So, yep. not bad. 
Yeah, no, re- really cool. And, and as you mentioned, I'm not sure, did Ocon serve that five-second penalty in the pits? I th- yeah, I think he did because okay. they didn't really touch on it during the broadcast, but he had to, yeah. Yeah, okay, so that's what I thought. So I was just looking at the final um, standings in the time, and if you were to add five seconds to Esteban's time, it would have put him in P5 ahead of Kevin Magnussen by 0.3 of a second. Uh, but, of course, if that if he served it during a pit stop, then, uh, you know, that kind of doesn't really factor because there would have been a safety car anyways who knows but uh, if you're going just by time it would have put him in p5 so you know phenomenal by alpine i had them ninth in my standings and my predictions for this year and they definitely don't look like a ninth place constructors team they look really really good they surprised me this weekend and um, i'm excited to see what they do i just hope fernando can get a little bit of um, uh, muscle behind his car because you know esteban seems to have a good handle all that Alpine, but Fernando surprisingly is just struggling a little bit. I won't say a lot, obviously, because he finished in the points and had a really good race. Um, but he just didn't seem as confident in the car as Esteban did. Yeah, it kind of happened last year, too. We had a slow start to the year, but that was when he was coming back into the sport after a few years off. So I don't know if it was just maybe something set up wise. I think even Verstappen was talking about that a little bit that the balance changed from Friday to Sunday and that it was kind of more difficult to drive. So a little bit of an adjustment period, but I think Esteban Ocon will be very, very happy with himself and how he started this year, as will Alpine, because I think that they have an opportunity, like Shaker made in his predictions, to potentially finish in the top five if what we see from other teams like McLaren and Aston Martin are true for the rest of the year. So well done to them, and well done to all the drivers, really, who had a very clean race to start the Bahrain Grand Prix. We were so close to getting the first opening race, I think, ever to have all 20 drivers finish So it was a really solid race and I think a very good start to the year. I think it's nice to see that the rule changes really are doing what they were designed to do. Of course, the verdict is still out on the whole regulation changes as we go to some different circuits. We're heading to a very high-speed track next with not a lot of braking events. And then we go to some more traditional European circuits like Imola and then we got street track. So by mid-season, we'll be able to tell. But I think overall, I really enjoyed it. And I think that I'm really excited for this season. And it's just so great to have F1 back. Yeah, it really is. And for now, it seems like these cars can follow each other. We had some really, really good racing. Um, although there was a lull kind of midway through this race, um, if you actually looked at the race, there were still some really good on-track battles uh, that we didn't see last year. So you know, fingers crossed. It seems like a great start for this new F1 car, a new design, and I uh, hope it continue for the rest of the season. Yeah, very good start to the race. And I, <clears throat> one thing I did want to mention about the rule changes, and I think it was mentioned by Crofty in the race as well, is on that safety car restart compared to last few years where we saw the huge difference between the top uh, top three cars and the rest of the grid. It seemed like they were very, you know, consistently spread out throughout and they could still have some wheel to wheel racing compared to the last few years where the gap would be within five to 10 seconds uh, within a lap or two, you know, so that was really nice to see as well. So I'm, I'm expecting to see a lot more of that close wheel to wheel racing. And, you know, like Tyler mentioned, it might not be all that impressive and go all, all that long, but it's just really nice to see that again within all the cars, not just uh, not just between Mercedes and Red Bull or Ferrari. Yeah, I think we might get plenty of surprises coming our way this season. And now with the first doubleheader of the year is coming up in a few days' time. By the time this podcast gets out, we'll be racing around the Jetta circuit. We really weren't there that long ago, just a few months in December. 
for the first ever Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. So this will be the second one. Very interesting track if last year's race was anything to go by. So we really hope that you guys will be able to join us this Saturday for our Saudi Arabian Grand Prix qualifying live stream watch along. You should be able to find the link for that video on the homepage of our channel. We'll get that posted up very shortly. Hopefully, all three of us will be able to uh, to join for that live stream, but you're definitely going to get at the minimum two of us this Saturday. So we're really hoping that many of you can join us. And of course, the live chat will be wide open to interact with us, ask your questions, make your comments, and have your voice heard on our channel. So that should wrap up episode number 128 of the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. Thank you guys once again for listening and watching us wherever you are watching us around the world. We really appreciate your support. You'll be able to find all of our social media links down in the description below, whether on YouTube or on your podcast player app. And just make sure you follow us there. We really use our social media to just try and post updates on content and things like that. And if you got a question to us, reach out to us directly and we'll be happy to answer. Tyler Shaker, any final thoughts or words? Now's the chance. Bring on the Jetta Street Circuit. It was chaos last year and I, <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be chaos again this year. Yeah, I kind of agree with uh, new wheels and everything and we'll be uh, really interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, should be a lot, a lot of fun if anything was to go by for the 2021 race. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one for sure. So we'll be the, we'll be back next week to break down that race as well. And then we'll have uh, two weeks off before we go to Australia for the third race of the year. So a very rapid start to the 2022 season, but I think a excellent start in that one. So please comment your race thoughts down below. And of course, make any comments or questions on anything you heard in this podcast. And we'll get back to you as soon as possible. For Tyler McDonald, Shaker Barty, I've been Chris Cato. Thank you guys again so much for the support. You'll be hearing from me again soon. Bye, guys.